uh, reboot complete. Were you rebooting your Mac? It rebooted itself. I came I came upstairs oh. and uh, it was it was having some kind of problem and rebooted itself. So it's, it's wow. The best kind of problems are the ones that happen and resolve themselves all by themselves. It's really thoughtful of Macs that they just sometimes reboot themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, they they've got it's, work to do, you know, and I, we can't mm-hmm. we can't be involved in in their business, their private business. I uh, I don't I don't like to uh, to cross the uh, brain Mac threshold <laughs> very often. But uh-huh. did you watch the Mac uh, announcement and were you excited about it? Uh, I did watch it. I would not say that I felt any emotion about it whatsoever, which has been mm-hmm. the case for me. As uh, I know, I know John is. Um, <laughs> That's very on brand for you. <laughs> yeah, I think um, <laughs> I watched it and felt nothing. I felt nothing. I I <laughs> felt I felt less even during it than I do normally. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> it, it actually it actually deprived you. It depri- had removed uh, a level of emotional uh, feelings. <laughs> no, I um, you know, I mean, like the new Macs, they're faster and they're better and they look good and they make the one that I have seem dumb and mm. that's great. I'm not in a position to buy any new Macs at all, mm-hmm. so I've got a Mac Mini uh, M1. Mm. Um, a number of months ago to replace a much, much, much older, decrepit desktop type situation that I had. And that thing has been wonderful for, uh, for all the stuff that I do. And it wasn't expensive and I'm connected it to the old screen and the old keyboard and the old mouse and everything's great. And so that's what I have right now, but, um, they're wonderful. They look wonderful. Apple continues to recover from a series of significant mistakes and bad judgments mm. and bad decisions mm. and blunders. Yeah. It's when was the last big Mac blunder? The biggest blunder in, well, the current blunder that I've heard they're also walking back now is the way that they, uh, completely, completely screwed up tabs in Safari to the point where I've had to switch browsers. I'm using the brave browser now, which is based on Chrome but without all the um, spyware that, that Google has built in and better uh-huh. ad blocking. So I've had to, I've been forced off of the Safari browser uh, by the ridiculous implementation of tabs. But apparently on my birthday as a birthday gift, they're giving me the new version of Mac OS, which is supposed to have walked that back. But the hmm. biggest hardware blunder is of course the, the touch bar that, that nobody wanted, oh, nobody bar. asked for and, uh, and really, just just a, a horror. I mean, there's people who will try. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be nice about this, John. You got to, okay, I got to okay. draw the line somewhere. The touch and that's bar. That's what I was looking for. And I'm, listen, I know that, that the guy or the, the person. Sure. Who created the touch bar as a listener. I know that they're here listening right now. I don't want to offend them or hurt their feelings. If they could just jump forward about five minutes. Um, <laughs> the touch bar is probably the worst idea in computing in the last two decades. It is completely flawed. The whole idea that, 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 that anyone would ever want that. It mm. shows such a deep, deep failure oh. in understanding how people use things in the world. It's if, if I, if I said, here's the brand new Aston Martin and for your convenience, we've installed the steering wheel on top of the car for you. 
you won't be able to reach the pedals when you use it, but you can steer. You have a 360 degree view of the world when you're up there. So that's why we put it up there. John is so wrong. Uh-huh. It's so flawed at a fundamental level. Uh, so that's, that would be my number one blunder that Apple's made recently. But they got rid of that. They've, it's gone. And hopefully no, we'll they, never see it again. Never see it again. Dan, without going too deeply into it, I didn't... Um, you know, part, part of why I ask is it's always fascinated me that uh, this culture that, that, I, uh, that I sort of moonwalked into here <laughs> with you and Merlin and all of the, uh, all of the people that are uh, tech and makes... Um, <clears throat> you used to talk about Macintoshes all the time. Mac, 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 me, Mac, Mac, Mac. And oh, yeah. we all had programs about Macs and, and, uh, Merlin had his, his MacBook weekly and you had Mac, Macintosh by the numbers or whatever your shows were. <laughs> and, uh, and the, those were exciting times. Not that I knew anything more about Macs then than I do now because I, I was paying even less attention probably then. But it just seemed like you guys were all such. It was like you were fans of a band, fans of a big band, mm -hmm. and they and they kept releasing records every September, and you were like, "The new record is amazing." But uh, the Touch Bar thing, I was, <clears throat> I guess I was sleeping the day that it came out. <laughs> I guess I like slept in that day, and I don't remember anything about it until some. <clears throat> there was some point in time when I think probably I accidentally navigated to Mashable for a half an hour, and there was something on there <laughs> where they were mad, and then I was like, "Huh, what's that about?" There's some kind of touch bar, and I uh, maybe I clicked through to a second second article where they were mad, and then maybe once I was on an airplane and some and I overheard somebody saying something about a touch bar, but uh, that that is the full extent of my understanding of what. It is. Is it like one of those? Is it like on those nineteen eighties musical instruments where they had um, they had like the uh, what, what was that thing called? The it's not a not a um, oh beer. There there was this one. Oh, an omnicord. The omnicord had a little little touch bar that you, if you ran your hand up it, you ran your finger up it, it went. Uh, so that's the that's what I think of when I think of the Mac Touch Bar. What was it meant to do? <laughs> um, <clears throat> it was supposed to show. Um, I mean, and the idea, the idea behind it isn't where mm -hmm. things are flawed, but it's simply that that the idea should should have been scrapped before they tried to implement it. Let alone, as you would say, foisted upon mm -hmm. uh, their customers. So the person that invented it that, that you know for a fact listens to this yes. show, are they somewhat redeemed no. by the fact that you think the idea was okay? No, there's no redemption for them in, oh, their, in this okay. lifetime. <laughs> I see. Okay. Too much, my, too much harm has been done. My apologies to you, listener, and you and I maybe should go on vacation and we can just we can commiserate. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so what was it supposed to do? My understanding and the idea does sound neat uh, is so imagine, imagine John, if you're in your kitchen, you're standing in your kitchen and you are about to prepare a five course meal Ooh. for 40 people. I can see my kitchen right over there. And mm -hmm. that would be a lot. That'd be a, that'd be asking a lot of it. Okay. So now imagine if you could pick up one utensil, one, 
And as you need it, it becomes whatever utensil you need at that time. So for example, let's say that you're now, you've, you've hunted and you've, you have a deer and you're about to process the deer meat, right? Oh it's going to start out with that one little flat, thin knife that you use to separate the skin from the muscle. And then without you setting it down or picking something up, now it's become a butcher knife so that you can now chop the, the cuts of meat. And then uh, and once you're done with that, without putting the thing down, it just now it's a, a set of tongs that you can use to flip the meat on your grill. And without putting it down, now it's a giant salad spoon so you can mix up your salad. It becomes whatever you need. And then when it's time to sit down and eat, it becomes a fork right in your hand it, all at once. That's the goal of the touch bar is that depending on what you're doing, it will take on a different role. It might show you if you're in Safari, it might show you thumbnails in this tiny, tiny little window of gra graphic area. It's going to try and show you like a thumbnail of the browser page that you're looking at. If you're mm -hmm. if you're writing something, maybe it'll have like controls for font sizes or something in there. If you are, um, you know, basically whatever it is that you're doing, it's it's going to the application is going to kind of tell it these are what these buttons across the top should be. Because this is the thing, John, P uh, human beings are not smart enough to understand that like an F4 key in one application could, I don't know, make you uh, make something bold. I'm making this up. But then okay. in another application, the F4 key might do something different. Human beings are not smart enough for that. So they need to, they need to have a smooth row of buttons that change and show different graphics. And they, you know what, let's put, let's, instead of having volume up and down keys. Okay. So, so think of your remote control for your TV. There's a volume up and down button. And that's been kind of that way for as long as anyone can remember, but that's obviously not good. That's not what people want. So let's give them a weird slider oh. in, in the touch bar so that when you want to make things go uh, louder, softer, you can, you can slide your finger. No one wants this. But here's where it gets worse is that accidental key presses because this is a touch bar and not yeah. something that actually registers a press, just gently touching the touch bar activates whatever key your finger might've been over. So, so the, oh, the and they I had a girlfriend like that once. Yeah, exactly. So at the top left of this thing, you have like the, um, like the, the brightness controls. So all of a sudden right. you'd be sitting there and your computer would just go dark all of a sudden. You're like, what just happened? Oh, my pinky, the corner edge of my pinky accidentally came in contact with the bottom of this quote unquote button. And now my, it is essentially turned the brightness all the way down instantly. Like this is the kind of thing that happened. And worse than that is the escape key, which they did eventually separate from the touch bar and make its own key. But, the escape key is used extensively in software development by programmers because the escape key allows you to switch different modes depending on the editor that you're using. It allows you to break out of different settings. The escape key is oh. used constantly, but it was also part of this touch bar. And oh, there dear. was and the other thing that's worse about this is you get no feedback from the touch bar that you've oh, you actually don't you don't even know that you've pressed it because <clears throat> there's no feedback from it. Whereas a regular key, you can feel the key moving under sure, your finger. Click. I didn't know that about the escape key, that it was important in very programming. Important. so important. Dan, can you explain how a company as uh, large and full of employees as
as I presume Mac, um, uh, Apple to be. It's got to have so many employees. It's got to be just full to the brim with mm, them. Yeah. And they all are college educated. They are all they were all the smartest one of the people they knew. They're yeah. the one that's smart enough to get hired by this company. Right. And they all want to live down there in in uh, <clears throat> that one part of California. Mm-hmm. And they have, for the most part, been pretty good about designing things. Yeah, they're they're. I think Apple is the best at designing technology in the world. So you, as a tech, as a technologist, and as a uh, as a as an observer and a critic of the of the uh, or a pundit of the of the industry. Where do you think, how, in a company like that, could it go? I'm interested in this because I, because I, uh, on, a, on a daily, sometimes hourly basis, I'm, I interface with some, uh, something in the world that people thought was the right direction, and, it's, and it just seems so self-evident that the thing is wrong and that they never should have done this, and who would ask for this? And you would think... That of all the people, you can you can see where Microsoft would do this all the time, oh, right? Yeah, because yeah. it's because it's a it's an ungainly and ungovernable hive of imperialists and uh, you know and like creepy weirdos, and they have to get through seventeen levels of key card just to get to the pop machine. And they're you know like Microsoft has a corporate culture. Who knows? Amazon even worse, right? They're where they walk around and there are people with lightsabers in the elevators. That you know won't let them tie their shoes if they if they don't have the right credential, but Mac, Apple, whoever mm. they are, <laughs> you know, aren't they're like riding around on hoverboards? Like they all seem like they're 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 all wearing white robes. They should be they should be above this kind of mistakes. So Dan, tell me, and you're when you sit with your Imaginarium and are and are picturing the day that this went wrong, and then all the subsequent bad decisions that led to it being actually put into hardware. What happened? Who? <clears throat> Who's behind this? Okay, and, yeah. Who's fault? And how are they not in prison now? Well, the last one I can't answer, but I fully agree with the sentiment. But the thing that I think is, you know, there there is this hard line drawn. And it's a weird line to draw, especially in light of uh, the integration and support of running iOS uh, apps on your Mac. But we'll get to that in a second. Okay, thank God. That there is a... One of the things that Microsoft has done, let me take a step back. One of the things that Microsoft has done, and you know what? Honestly, they didn't do a terrible job of it, is okay. they they have worked really hard to make devices, especially sort of like their surface line of, uh, I guess, would they be notebooks? Would they be tablets? They're yeah. a little bit of both. They've really done a lot to kind of blur that line between what we think of as a tablet versus a computer. With the Surface, you have something that is is a tablet, but when it's connected to a keyboard, it is a computer. And mm. it's not it's not in the way that that iPad or iPad OS does it, where there are very different there's a very different mindset and a very different way of working with iOS, I, iPad OS than there is with Mac OS. With Mac OS, you have a traditional, you know, if a desktop, you have a Keyboard and mouse are required or a trackpad of some kind, a tracking device. You know, you've got windows that you can move around, resize, open, close, applications that are all separate. You're very much in control of the experience on a computer compared to on an iOS or iPadOS device. I'm just going to start saying iOS and I'll include both in that. And so Microsoft kind of blurred these lines. They said, you know what, you're going to be able to use our operating system 
on a tablet. And when you're using it in that way, you can use a stylus or a pen to tap things. You could use your hand to scroll the screen. Apple has drawn this really hard line to say, no, we are not doing touchscreens on hmm. on our Macs. We will not do that. We are Although not they're great at them on iPads and on phones. They're the best. Yeah. They're the very best. And so the, the problem is that the way Microsoft did it, it's a little confusing. You're not really sure. Are you in tablet mode? Are you not in tablet mode? What can you do when you're in tablet mode versus when you're not in tablet mode? There's a little bit of confusion until you learn it. And I have a Surface uh, Pro and it's it's great. I really like it for what I use it for. But Apple has said, no, we are not going to have touchscreens on Macs. We're not doing that. It's too confusing. And they used to say this in the same way about the iPad at first when it came to like how they were handling keyboard support and how they wanted to, w- would they support a mouse or a pen and the, those types of things. And they gradually added the Apple Pencil and then they added trackpad support. And now the top of the line keyboard that you can get for the iPad, it features a trackpad and they've actually mm. integrated trackpad stuff into iPad OS and it works great. But back on the Mac side, no, the answer is no, we will absolutely not do anything with a touchscreen. And I feel oh. that in order to, this is my guess, in order to add something that kind of made, you know, gave gave their MacBooks a little bit of an edge and kind of what they thought was going to bridge the gap between I guess the Mac and wanting to touch the screen was yeah. to come up with this, this area of the keyboard, since your fingers are already on the keyboard <clears throat> that could oh. kind of sort of maybe give you that feeling of, well, like it's not the screen that you're touching, but it's like a screen and mm. it, it kind of extends some capabilities to where your fingertips are already placed and you get uh-huh. you get some of the, so i think that that was the impetus for wanting to create this thing and within those constraints the way that it was implemented does make sense but what they failed to realize i think john is that that implementation is not superior to what they took away to give us that and this right. is right we is, need the buttons we need the buttons if they had put a touch bar on top of the buttons yes people would have complained that now the keyboard is too small or now the computer is too long or whatever yeah i know i i'm i'm not saying that this would have been perfect but they took something away and gave us something back that wasn't as good and that's yeah. something that they should have that was their mistake is that if you take something away and you replace it with something else, there's always going to be people who are like, well, I like the first thing better. Yes. Sure. <clears throat> but if you take something away and you, you have, you have a daughter and you know this, yeah. if you take something away and you give them something new, it's like, you can't take away your kid's iPad and give them a racquetball and say, this should entertain you the same way that your iPad did. It's not the same. And that's what they did by taking away this row of keys that are very important to a lot of people and to the way mm-hmm. if, you you know, going back as far as I can remember to the very first IBM PCs that I used. And even before that, you know, I don't think that the Apple II that I used first had this, but going back to the first mainstream computers that people had, like keyboards eventually got function keys the Apple extended keyboard had function keys. The IBM keyboards had function keys. We've always had function keys and they deserve to be there. There's an important rule role for them in computing and taking them away and giving us something that doesn't quite work very well 
uh, that was a, a really, really bad idea. So why did it get out there? This is my theory as to that. Everyone that I know who either works at or has worked for Apple always talks about how, I don't want to use the word isolated, but separated whatever their group is from all of the other groups within Apple. Uh, so apparently, unless you're at a relatively high level, and I don't know where the threshold for that level is, but unless you're at a very high level within Apple, you definitely... Like, like <clears throat> you can be a command master sergeant or you have to be an officer. You have to I, be like I don't captain know. or above. This is what I don't know. Sure. But at some point, if you're high enough up, you're going to definitely have a view of what the other groups in the organization are doing. But most, and I mean most 95 probably or even more percent of people at Apple really honestly, truly don't know. I have a friend uh, who was relatively high up on the Apple podcast side of the business. And he's often told me, he's like, I knew everything that was going on in Apple podcasts. He's like, but I had, he's like, I was just as surprised as you were when they announced the Apple watch or the new camera in the iPhone or the new Mac or whatever. They have no knowledge of it, no awareness of it. All of this stuff seems to happen in these very separate, isolated groups of thought. And yeah. so of course the people high up know what's coming, but you know, you have to think that, how many people knew about it? Well, even within something like the Mac OS development group, you know, you would think that they're all sitting around a table together, having a meeting or talking on Zooms or whatever. But even within that group, my understanding is that there's a, a separation there, that not everyone working on Mac OS would necessarily know, oh, these new features to support this track bar thing or, or touch bar, whatever it's called, uh, that, that those are even being built into it. They might not know that. Uh, okay. So- my guess is that it was actually a relatively small number of people who looked at that and that when it was presented to the people in decision-making roles up at the top, they're like, yeah, this is great. This bridges the gap. We, we can give them some of this touch stuff that we're so good at, but we're not going to have them touch the screen. We know we're not going to do that. So this is a nice in-between. Here you go. Have fun. I think that's what happened. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> so what you're saying is that Mac – uh, uh, Apple Mac mm -hmm. should have just and should now put a touchscreen on their laptops. Right. How, when was the last time that you were reading a magazine and you reached down to zoom with your fingers on a picture? Maybe 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Right before so, we started the show. So and I feel like the biggest idiot in the world and I do it all the time. <laughs> all the time. Or like, you know, because like, John, we're not young. We're not old. We're not, no, we're, we're not, not super young, young guys. <laughs> No. And I have, you know, I, I've tried the progressive lenses and for whatever reason with my prescription, the astigmatism, the access, whatever it, it, I can never adjust them. I tried them for two weeks. I took a break. I tried them again for another two weeks. I couldn't make it work. So I have all, don't, don't look at me too close. Mm, okay. I'm you and anyone who might be listening to this. When we meet in person, don't scrutinize my glasses, because if you do, you'll see the little bifocals. They're almost invisible, but they're there. They are there. And so sometimes, though, that's just not enough or it's not right, you know, and, and you want to make, you want to, as Merlin would say, you want to embiggen something. Embiggen it. And I will just reach down to the magazine and I'll, I'll try to stretch 
the image yeah. and it, it doesn't work. And you're like, why is, isn't this thing getting, oh. So who, remind me, who invented the touch the screen with your fingers and, and push them apart to embiggen and push them together to, and squeeze them? Wankel. Wankel? Mm-hmm. The rotary engine making I think, people? I think so. No, you're inventing know. that. I don't know who. You think it was who? Which one of these technology companies invented this now, like, uh, seemingly embedded in either... Everything. <laughs> well, but also, <clears throat> it's one of these things where you put a you put a, one of these pads in front of a little child, and the first time they do it, they instantly intuit it and then that's the they have no problem interacting with that surface from then on implying that this is some innate um <laughs> gesture right right that that whoever invented it was just pulling something down out of the clouds uh that that god intended the whole time because no child has ever uh, taken more than one pass at this to <laughs> grok it i know i remember that when the ipad um when when the iPhone came out and they were talking about typing on it and things like that. You know, everyone was very upset because this, how could a, how could a digital keyboard even get close to being as good as the Blackberry keyboard? <laughs> to, t, to T9 uh, text recognition. Yeah. Oh. Software? <laughs> I, I agree. You know, I agree. I uh, loved that stuff. But you know, not having physical keys was a big thing for a little while. People all talked about but I remember when the iPad came out, Steve Jobs made a very big deal out of the fact that, and, and I may be messing up the details of this, but if I remember right, that you could have 10 points of like touch points at the same time. So you could use all 10 of your fingers. Am I remembering that right? Somebody in the audience is, is going to tell me, but you know, I, I don't, the only touch screens that I remember before that were the really crappy ones like on your Garmin in your, in your car where you'd be like tapping a single button. You couldn't uh -huh. have multiple points of contact. You couldn't really like, it couldn't detect movement or anything like swiping or pinching and zooming. It was very much like it could detect that you, that pressure was applied in this one spot of the screen. And underneath that, the screen was displaying a button and that means that you press the button. It was very basic stuff. I'm going to credit Apple as taking that technology and making it something that, as you say, like everyone, including our kids, could instantaneously figure out right away. I have this memory now that you're saying this of the <clears throat> because I was a dedicated T9 typer, and uh, and I remember were you fast. I bet you were fast. Oh, I was so fast. I could write long, long, long. I mean, multi, multiple paragraph uh, <laughs> documents on T9 with one thumb while driving. You oh, know, I could dang. put like a whole thing together um, and did, you know, would sit in airports and write long emails or sit, you know, I wrote magazine articles from my T9 phone, uh, literal, literally ma magazine articles. But I remember seeing the initial touchscreen keyboard and it being demonstrated that that there was a, now a new way of typing where you would swoop your fingers between letters, that it was going to be this kind of graceful, it wasn't going to be tap, 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 but it was going, going to, because their text recognition software was so acute right. that you could just swoop your finger between letters and it would get what you were going for. And I I, I remember that at first thinking, Am I going to have to 
learn a completely new mechanics around typing so that it's it's you know it's going to now be some kind of graceful Tom Cruise in inception kind of you know we're all going to stand around swooping <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of tapping did you just wait a minute did you say Tom Cruise inception i like that Tom Cruise inception yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> let's have that be a thing. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think you're con- combining uh, Leonardo DiCaprio Inception and Tom Cruise. Um, oh my god, I had the it. other one, <clears throat> the one where he's uh, sliding the stuff. I watch this movie yeah. like weekly. Tricks of Decaphobia or whatever it was. Oh my god, what's happening to me? It's the one where they. I mean, I've just watched this movie like a week ago. It's the future cops. Yeah, the um, precogs. Pre- um, it's in. Uh, oh my, hold on. It's called Eeps Arps. It is. It is called Minority Report. Minority <laughs> Report, or as you would say, Minority Report. Minority. Do uh-huh. I say that? <laughs> I you said I Minority Report. Yeah. I'm from you Philly. Come on, there. give me a break. <laughs> I've done. I've worked really hard to lose the Philly accent. I've worked really, really hard for years. I know. I know you've done a very good job. <laughs> um, so, uh, what what happened in Inception? Was that a thing? Was that the one where the the streets uh, went went like four cur- dimensional? Curved up, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What That's was happening Inception. there? That was some kind of they were in a they were in a simulation. Uh, were they inside the Tron? They were inside of a dream. Basically, the oh. there there are dreams. They have a technology in the film that allows people to enter someone else's dream. And do things in the dream, and the concept of inception itself is that if you if you're good at this, you can yeah. penetrate someone's dream, and you can create an an idea that you sort of plant in their mind that makes them want to do something, such oh. as you know give you the codes to the to the you know the millions of dollars or whatever it is that they're trying to. And so the act of inception is that implantation of a thought, an idea that then sure. can potentially even wreak havoc on the person's psyche. And, um, <laughs> and that's why the symbol of they have of the little, the spinning uh, top is yeah. that, that everybody has some kind of little totem or a little device or a thing that has to operate on regular principles of physics that they can do that if they, that will tell them, if they're still in someone's dream or if they're in the real world. So Leo oh. Dino- Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, item is this little spinning top. And if you spin it, then I, I think if you're in the dream, it never stops spinning. It will spin forever. But of course, if you're in the real world, eventually the top will stop spinning. Sure. And that's the <clears throat> ending of the movie. The last scene of the movie is the top keeps spinning. It, it, but then it, and then you're like, is he in a dream? And I think it wobbles a little bit. And you're like, wait, was it a dream? But the secret to that movie, by the way, no spoilers except spoilers. Um, sure. Every scene with Michael Caine in it is real. Oh. So if Michael Caine is in the scene, that's the real world. Got it. Isn't that basically the plot of of Dreamscape <laughs> starring Dennis Quaid? <laughs> I, there's a wonderful line in that. That uh, which, which of the pen wasn't it? One of the pens that that. Dreamscape cast wasn't that one of the pens that was in that with him? Uh, oh, oh, oh! You're saying Chris Penn, Mike Chris Penn, Penn Mike pens? Penn, one of the pens was that? 
Uh, I'm or is not that sure. David was, Patrick Kelly that I'm thinking of? Yeah, David David Patrick Kelly, the guy that sings, war, sings says Warriors come out to play. He's yes, in that movie. He's that's very who scary it was. And in that movie, he says, let go now or draw back a stump when Dennis Quaid has grabbed his arm or hand or something like that. It all, always left me with a, an impression in, in that one. But draw yes, back a stump. It, that is a wonderful film that is underrated. I have not yeah. seen it in 30 years. The president more. is haunted by by nuclear war. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Dang, yeah. is this worth a rewatch? Dreamscape. Oh, I think so. I think so. And he's the president is the same actor that's in the Halloween movies as the professor or something who's responsible for Jason. Max von Sydow? No, not Max von Sydow. The other great actor. Well, you're just going to have to go watch it. Christopher Plummer. Uh, it's Christopher. No, well, Christopher no, it's Plummer Christopher and Max Plummer. von Sydow are almost the same person. Yeah, but it's not Christopher Plummer either. It's uh, it's the third. It's the third actor. He's got a Eddie little Albert. bit of a lazy Eddie eye. Albert. No, no, Eddie Albert plays the president. He doesn't play the president in Dreamscape. Yeah, he does. Does he? Yeah, I'm sending you the screenshot. Oh, and look at that! Oh. George Went from Cheers is in it. George Went. Uh huh. Was it really Eddie Albert? Yeah. Look. Let's see here. And it's coming to you. Uh, Max is, he's in it. David Patrick Kelly, Eddie Albert is the president. That's what it wow. Says. Well, so uh, you were naming all these guys and I was like, no, none of those guys. And they're all in the movie. They're all in it. <laughs> this movie has everyone. Kate Capshaw wow. is in it too. I was, I watched the conversation last night. <gasps> oh, that's an amazing <laughs> film. I, I named the first podcast I ever did the conversation because of that movie. Yeah, and as you as the as the credits are rolling at the beginning of the film, you're like, "What? Terry Gar is in this?" And then it just goes on and on and on. Everybody in it is is like, "Wow, no kidding, no kidding." And in fact, one of the uh, you know the the character in the conversation that plays the uh, the the uh, the guy that's having an affair with the wife of uh -huh. the director, um, that that character actor who you see a lot, and he was in Apocalypse Now. It turned out after I did a little research, he was married to Mary Lou Henner uh, uh, in at Mary Lou Henner's absolute peak, nineteen eighty to nineteen eighty two. The great Mary Lou Henner, mm. and I, you know, I, I celebrate her entire catalog, <laughs> including all of her crazy <laughs> infomercial. I don't remember whether it was an exercise program or a diet. I think it was maybe like a like powdered diet or something. Uh -huh. Mary Lou Henner went a little bit off the rails, but. <laughs> But boy, I was a super fan. And to find out that that character actor was married to Mary Lou Henner, it seemed a little bit like, wow, she's really kind of out of your league. But then, right. <clears throat> you know, I looked at their their respective ages at the time, and he was kind of a middle-aged guy, and she was still in her 20s. And That was normal back then in the movies. Well, yeah. I mean, all the really James Bond movies had that. Gives a, gives a person something Bond, to Bond could be, to. you know, in his late 60s, and they'd yeah. find like a 17-year-old Bond girl to be. And that's, you know. That was yeah, but this isn't. This wasn't in movie land. This was this in, in real, real life. <laughs> this was, you know, Michael Caine was in the scene. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> speaking as someone who is uh, talking to you through the portal of his 2014 MacBook, are you? Oh, are you? Uh, are you going to upgrade? It's it's a good time, I would think. You think so? I I think, I think so. Yeah, I think it's These the best time computers? ever. Yeah, they're amazing. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I will. I mean, I don't know. You know, times are tight. It's not like I got money to no, throw know. into a thousand things, but yeah. Um, well, thank you for breaking all that down for me. Sure, and anytime. I, and 
I agree 100% that that touch screens are here to stay, Dan. Mm. It does seem like we're all until the computers become uh, holograms and we're standing in the police station swooping our hands around. Right. In the meantime, and you know what's hilarious about those about uh, that movie when you watch it is that although they're swooping their hands around, they did not conceive of the cloud because who would? Right. Right. Who would ever think of the cloud? But what? But information was still then encoded into disks, and people carried the disk from one place to another, and the right. disk, you know, and and the disk is futuristic looking, but that was the that was the the leap that Spielberg couldn't make, right? Or the creative team they couldn't conceive of a time when you when there wouldn't be physical media. No, and it's so you're so right. You're a thousand percent right. And this is the thing that that is just funny because when when you have in most movies when they're sort of predicting the future through the technology the technology that the the characters are using it's just like they look at what we have now and they say well we'll just do a futuristic version of of this now you know like like you just said like well they have discs but they're just like really futuristic looking discs yeah, like tom cruise when he swaps out you know the memory that he wants to remember of his family that's gone um, you know, he's, or his child, spoiler, um, child. you know, like he's going to, he's going to pop in like this really cool looking, it's kind of like a laser disc. It's a DVD. Yeah, it's a drug. It's a laser disc. You know, and it sends up a little, a glitchy kind of hologram. Right. In, instead of whatever like a we perfect, would actually do. Like, yeah. Because re- now what we would think is that we would think that they, he would have some kind of VR headset, which he did sort of have, but he would have some kind of VR headset or some kind of subdermal implant that he could turn on that would be a completely immersive world so that now what you would think is you know god forbid anyone loses a child like right but like in in, what he was doing there was just watching recordings three-dimensional recordings of him and the child interacting now you would think that well in 20 30 40 years from now we're going to have a fully ai construct that uses all of the things that it knows from all the stuff that Google does to spy on us combined with our social media presence and all these other things to like recreate your child in this virtual world or in your real world with augmented reality so that now you hit a button and you're, let's say it's a dog instead. Your deceased dog is now running around in your house as if it was the real dog that you you had before and you can't tell the difference except you can't pet the dog. That's the only thing that's different. But if you had this fully immersive you know, reality you could get in with, with, you know, touch sensors on your suit that you're wearing, like in uh, ready player one, you could recreate this universe. So in which your lost family member perhaps still is alive and running around. That's what today we would think that people would have in the future. But back then they didn't, that, that was too much. No one would have believed that. So didn't didn't that technology already exist in the 1990s Star Trek universe where the, the hollow, the hologram deck, uh, you could go in there and uh, it was never clear to me whether the hollow deck adventures were all just like, I went to the jungle or whether you could go in there and interact with people from your past, whether you could go in there, you know, everybody wants to know if they go in there and have a sex party. You could, you could very much go in there and have a sex party. And this was, um, this was actually in an episode where, uh, I believe Lieutenant Barkley, uh, played by, I forget the guy's name, wonderful actor who played Murdoch, um, in, uh, the A-team. 
Oh um, yeah, Murdoch. Yeah, he he's under, underrated as an actor. His name is Dwight Schultz, actually, and he he played uh, Barkley in this, and he actually had within within his own created holodeck, you know, entertainment world. He had members of the bridge crew uh, acting as different characters and different period pieces. So, you know, like Deanna Troy was like dressed as like a maiden and Riker was like a was oafish swashbuckler type guy that so because he he was dealing with his social anxiety and other issues, which clearly even in that century, we had no cure for something It's like you know, social anxiety, like that, right. There would be no way to help him with that other than he just goes and makes his own holodeck program in which the bridge crew is subservient to him. Like that's how he felt better about himself. There's no like therapy or nano bot pill that he could have taken to help him in that century to address those issues or some advanced form of hypnotic regression that could have helped him. No, he has to make a essentially a a show inside of there but yes you could absolutely have a sex party in there um in fact a, another episode um jordy who uh at this point was um uh in charge of engineering uh needed to solve some kind of problem with the engine yeah. with the warp core or something and so he recreated this lab on earth including the person the inventor of the kind of thing that he was having to fix or whatever and and the computer was able to completely recreate her not exactly because they messed some things up which is the plot point later but mm. uh, he was able to sort of create a very close approximation of a full human being based on all of her writings and i'm guessing social media which they didn't talk about because we didn't have it back then but it constituted a a person in there and and that he and that person like hit it off and kind of fell in love inside oh, the holodeck. Oh, but then sweet. spoiler, when he met her in real life, she wasn't like that. She was different. Oh, she didn't like him. <laughs> she, I think she well, was even married or something. Oh dear. So I, it seems to me that maybe what was happening there with the, uh, with the inception report was that <laughs> Spielberg was doing the thing where he was trying to, he could have done, he, he had the imagination to go all the way to a, to a holodeck. Yeah. But he was trying to do the thing where he was like, I'm just going to take the technology just far enough into the future where it seems kind of Blade Runner-y. Mm. You know, it's still a little rinky-dink, mm -hmm. right? Like Blade Runner's got, got those telephones that have video screens. And it's like, you've got flying cars and you've got humanoid robots, but you still are making phone, phone calls from a pay phone with a, with a, like a, it's like a video phone is the highest the highest technology that Ridley Scott can think of in terms of like how we communicate with each other. We have flying cars. We could, we, we go to the Tannhauser gate with our robots, mm -hmm. but we're still like, beep, boop, 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 you know, hello. Um, so maybe Steven Spielberg was trying to do that. He knew that he could go, he could have gone crazy, Yeah, but he's like, no, I'm just trying to create this intermediate future where, where billboards are scanning our eyeballs. Right. We have the technology to replace someone's eyeballs with other is, with uh, someone else's eyeballs and replace that and do that in like a like a skanky sort of flop house environment. Um, but we still have billboards and right. 
computer disks. It's interesting to think what would what mistake would we make? Um, I think that I would have the I'd have the prescience to not do a heads up like a like a VR headset. Mm. But like, tell me this: mm. Did you follow the release of the Ray Ban Google Glass? I don't think wasn't, that I did. Wasn't that it was just a couple of weeks ago? There's a new Google Glass, the like universally reviled, weird, creepy glasses that made everybody uncomfortable. But they partnered with Ray Ban, and when when I was uh, dating Millennium girlfriend, and Snap released those Snapchat glasses, yeah. I remember during, you know, the first part of our relationship, we were talking about the snap glasses were like secret, secret plan number 7,000, but she was high ranking enough that she knew about it. Mm. And there was a lab there, um, off the, off the main drag in Venice where they were, they were beavering away at it. And then they made 1 billion of them. And, uh, and we had a, we had a demo pair before they were officially released. We had a pair that we could try out around the house. And I remember being astonished that Snap had done such a terrible job of envisioning this thing, right? Because here are these glasses. What do we? What, what? What was Snapchat's claim to fame? It was these filters that made you into a kitty cat or made you into a, a birdie bird or whatever it was. And all you wanted was to have that be real life, right? Yeah. Oh, you, yeah. Pe- people are like, I'm a kitty cat now, and it's. It's a, like a version of digital furry. You're a furry and you want to be your furry self all the time. And it always seemed qu- quite obvious that we were headed to, and I think are still headed to, a world at least in part where you can devise an avatar and enough of your life is online that you are your avatar. You become your avatar. You're not your your dopey, pimply self, but you are your kitty cat. And everybody that you know online, which is mostly your real life, uh, that's where most of your life comes happens, Yeah, they all know you as kitty cat. And all we want, the next iteration of that, is to put on some glasses, mm-hmm. walk out into the world, and have other people that are wearing the same glasses see you as kitty cat mm-hmm. in real life. Mm-hmm. And you see them as birdie bird or doggy dog in real life. And so it'll be, you know, it's a separate society, right? Where, um, you know, all the squares, all the people like uh, all the dads are walking around without the glasses. And you can just take one look at them and know, oh, you don't have an avatar life. But the, the people that do have avatars and are living online uh, will actually see themselves in real time, and and you, they won't want to take their glasses off and see their uh, their pimply friend. They'll want to see Moosey Moose mm-hmm. and have Moosey Moose interact with them. And so here was Snapchat. They had all this technology. They had these filters, and they were making these glasses. What the hell else would you do? Pour all your money into it because as soon as you did it, as soon as you made it, it would be all anybody, all of your users would want it. Because you, because real time still exists, right? Real time is the 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 evolution is not to have Instagram where you put your pictures. the The evolution is to have your pictures be reality, 
and your filters be reality. Filters, all filters. Because our original vision of Google Glass was that you would look at it, at least my vision, you would look at a downtown library and it would call up all the Wikipedia entries like, this library was built in 1840. Ah, right. Most people don't want that because most people aren't walking around already wondering when the library was built. But you would have that kind of overlay, right? Wasn't that, that's not virtual reality, it was augmented reality. Augmented reality, yeah. You'd have those overlays, but but most of the original vision was like data. It's all going to be data. You're going to be able to see when the next bus comes. You're going to be able to, you know, jump to the head of the of the. DMV line, but the but the the augmented reality of personality of avatar seemed like to me at least it still does seem like the at least unevolution and it's going to be it's not it's going to be partial uh, it's going to be gamers or it's going to be TikTokers it's not going to be olds my mom doesn't want an avatar but. Snapchat came out with these glasses, and all they were were freaking cameras, and they weren't even good cameras. Mm. They were outward-facing. There was no component of looking through the glass where it either beamed something into your eyeball that gave you any information at all or really even gave you the control of looking through the glass to see any controls. It was just like an external camera, and you pushed a button. And so Google Glass, oh, and the other thing was the Snapchat glasses were really handsome, I thought. They were very attractive. Uh, they were designed by a woman I met her. She, she, she just made them cute and cool. They just didn't have any functionality. Google Glass had functionality, but they were idiotic looking. They were made by, they were clearly made by engineers who were men who wanted glasses to look like something that a male engineer would wear. And I said at the time, Google is so stupid. Why didn't they just partner with Ray-Ban, with Bausch and Loam, who have in their archives 50 of the coolest looking glasses frames that have ever been made by anybody? You know, you could just go down the list of the best Ray-Bans mm-hmm. and it's like, those are the coolest sunglasses. Oh, no, I was wrong. Those are the coolest sunglasses. Oh, wait, no, those are the co- I mean, they have everything, right? All the best glasses. And Bausch and Loam is loving the idea that, in my imagination, of partnering with Google. Well, so they finally did it. Somebody, whoever just came out with these, I think it's Google, maybe it's Microsoft, um, they partnered with Ray-Ban. And so now you can get a pair of Wayfarers that have digital functionality. I just don't know what, I only heard about it because I'm on a text thread with a group of people that, play online poker with each other and I'm not really super tight with them. I'm, I kind of got added to the, to the group and I went on there the first night and I lost $200 and I was like, I can't afford to lose $200 to you ding dongs. And so, but I still am on the text thread. I haven't played poker with them, but I get their text, but I, but I don't have any names associated with it. It's just phone numbers. You know, when you're on a group text with 20 people that you don't know and it's all just like, well, they all have a two, one, two area code. I got no idea who these people are, mm-hmm. but one of them said, posted some pictures that they had taken with these new glasses, and it became evident that they either worked 
on the program. Uh-huh. No, that they worked on the program. They were part of the, the, the because everybody else in the text story was like, "Congratulations, they're amazing. We're so proud of you." Um, and so I was like, "Well, what do these things do?" But I didn't care enough to go look into it. And I'm wondering whether we're any closer to my vision or whether the functionality of these things is like your next bus is arriving or whether they have zero functionality at all besides being a camera. So I guess that's, I, I guess I should know more before I really dive into criticizing it, but it definitely doesn't seem like it's sweeping the nation. If you chief technologist of roadwork podcast don't uh-huh. even know about it. Right. But it does seem like if I were writing a science fiction movie, it would be, it Man, would, that would be something I'd like to see well, that. Cause the technology would be, the technology needs to be emotional, right? Who cares about the, about the hardware? That was the thing about, um, inception report. He was using those little discs to relive his past. The, the, the connection, the click is with, with feelings and, you know, the psychology of writing an entire film where, uh, where people are like inhabiting their avatars in real time, ready player one style, except it's augmented. It's not a holodeck. They're actually out riding the bus with you and looking at each other across the bus and through the glasses, they can see that there are five furries, two Jedis and, uh, and somebody cosplaying a mailman. And then there are all these grayed out people who are just sitting there reading the wall street journal that seems like a fun universe, although a dystopian one and like a spooky – a long time ago, I thought what it was going to be was monocles. And what the monocles would represent was that in one eye, kind of like when you get eye surgery, they sometimes say, we can give you correction for up-close vision or far-away vision – or we can do one eye far away and one eye close. This is the LASIK thing. And your brain will get used to it. Your brain will just start looking long distance out of the long distance eye. Oh, so they and, actually do a different thing to the different eye. Yeah, it's a oh, kind of surgery. Yeah, and and you know, my mom had had uh, the eye surgery, and she said. You know, I've never had far away vision. I always was able to read. Um, I've never had faraway vision, so why don't you give me the surgery where I have good faraway vision? Mm-hmm. And um, even though my close-up vision is bad now too, I can just read reading glasses. Or I can use reading glasses. And after she had it done, she regretted her choice because she said, all I want to do is read. Like, who cares if I can see an eagle flying over the ocean? I can put on glasses to see that. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to sit and read and and do up-close things without glasses. That's where glasses are a pain in the ass. It's not like long-distance glasses are are hard. And so she wished she'd done it the other way. But then I heard about this one where they do one of each. And it's just like getting used to bifocals. The first couple of weeks, you're like, what am I doing? You know, what everything is just completely wackadoodle, but your brain rewires. And so the idea I had a long time ago was that the future would be that we all wore monocles. And in the monocle eye, you were online 
and looking at metadata and then your other eye was living in the world and that what and, and that what it would effectively do is it would lobotomize us so that half of our brains like you could pick which eye was the monocle eye did you want to have your creative life be uh, you know the your left hemisphere your right hemisphere because your brain is would be wired to the eye and you'd be having a completely different experience of the world um and you'd have a whole hemisphere of your brain devoted to it. But it doesn't seem like anybody's – I mean, it's not like I wrote that down or ever published it anywhere so that it could be a new school of thought. Except for now. Now I'm entering it into the record. Uh, it doesn't seem like anybody's headed in that direction, though. They're not even going – they're not even giving us the avatar life we want. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Would you – are you – are you old slash young enough that you would, if it was possible, develop an avatar that that would be you, that when people looked at you, you would just be kind of enhanced, Dan? I mean, I don't think of you as a furry, but what if everyone that looked at you through the glasses saw you in a top hat? Yeah, that's kind of an interesting, I would probably do a top hat. Um, mm-hmm. I can see that. Do you? Did you mention the Bruce Willis film where he was in a in a I'm lo- hold on, I'm looking at his filmography right now. The, the Don't Talk to Me About Time Travel movie? No. With Joseph that, Gordon Levitt. Looper is the name of that Looper. one. Looper. 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 But I like that. No, this is a movie where it is a slightly in the future, slightly dystopian world um i can't remember if it was before or after looper i'm I'm looking at this but basically everybody had a it's called surrogates it came out in 2009 yeah this is it surrogates and i'll just i'll just read to you the way that this uh is described in our favorite wikipedia yeah it says surrogates is 2009 american science fiction action film Uh, I guess it was based on a comic book. It says the film's main concept centers on the mysterious murder of a college student linked to the man who helped create high tech surrogate phenomenon that allows people to purchase remote controlled humanoid robots through which they interact with society. Oh, these, I think I saw this. These fit, attractive, remotely controlled robots ultimately assume their life roles, enabling people to experience life vicariously from the comfort and safety of their own homes. So this movie, you're depending on how much money you make, these androids, which they, of course, call surrogates, you basically live an idealized form of life. Um, basically all human beings are now slovenly, disgusting, homebound. They spend all of their time like in a recliner. They're safe. Right. Um, but you send your, you, you, and you kind of put on like a headset. So you feel and exist through the surrogate, but like, are you in like a body suit that has like a catheter and, uh, mm -mm, and like a, and a butt vibrator? No, they don't talk about how you like what you do when you got to pee or whatever, but the surrogate can get damaged or destroyed even. And it doesn't hurt you because that part is, is blocked. But depending on how much money you have, if you're rich, you can get an amazing surrogate. You can get a surrogate that has essentially superpowers so that you could like jump, 
20 feet in the air or run really, really fast or whatever. You can be Spooderman. Right. And so what happens is uh, the main character who um, uh, I think, um, yeah, Bruce Willis plays, I think his name is Tom. Hold on. Yes, it is Tom. Um, His surrogate gets destroyed. And now he has to interact with the world without a surrogate as a regular human being. And the only people who are regular human beings at this point are people who are essentially like, like homeless people, uh, people who are destitute for one reason or another. Those people are forced to interact with the world as themselves, disgusting, regular human beings, like, you know, uh, so, but anyway, that's kind of, and I feel like that, that's a little bit like what you're talking about in the sense that you can have this yeah. idealized version of yourself through which you interact with the world. But no, I think I would just wear a top hat if I wanted every, if I want everyone to see me in a top hat, I'll just put one on. I've got one. What was the Matt Damon movie where all the poor were left on earth and all the riches were living in the, it was, it was called, uh, uh, uh Epsilon or, uh, Elysium. Elysium. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like this is a very common theme in films that the poors all get left behind and the riches go to a special place, but the special place is some kind of either terrible place or event. I think in Elysium, didn't the poors rise up? And I mean, there's always something going to happen. You can't just have that be the static status quo. No. Um, yeah, I don't I know. Do, I, I don't know. I, I do feel like the avatar problem is always going to be, that you have to, um, you have to buy virtual coins in order to get the extra cherry on your milkshake, yeah, or whatever. Nobody's going to let you just make an avatar and and make it as good as you want without having money, right? I downloaded this this little app on my phone where I <clears throat> get to um, pop balloons. It's a balloon popping game. Oh, what's it called? I don't know. Balloon popper balloon popper i'm not sure it was just one of the i was playing some other game and they're like do you want to play balloon popper and 99 percent of the time i'm like no no because most of those i don't know if you play any games on your phone but there's this whole genre of of phone game where uh they show you like some young couple <laughs> or a, a single mom and then the game starts to to really, really fuck with these people, you know, like it's it's freezing cold and single mom and her baby are gonna die. <laughs> what are you gonna do? I would not see that. Or like, there's a cute fish, but it's out of the water and there's flames. You've got to save the fish, and uh, and they have so many of these games, and they they get they cause me tremendous anxiety. Like, I don't want this single mom. I don't want me. Like half-assed playing this game while waiting for uh, the show to start to put this single mom and her baby into a situation where they freeze to death. Like what kind of sociopaths are out there playing these video games where the stakes are so incredibly high? And there's another genre of them where it's like, oh, there's a girl and and her boyfriend either shows up for a date and she looks bad and her legs are hairy – or her boyfriend has got a new girlfriend and she's got to get dressed up in order to win him back. And that's all these pro- project makeover things. And the, the first thing is the boys all look like total turds, but also like what a way to torture 
you're torturing yourself as well as this this poor digital girl who's just trying to like get on with her life. Who cares about this lame boy, you know? Anyway, I don't like any of those games. I like the ones where it's like, here, there's a bunch of balloons. Do you want to pop them? Uh, but this balloon popping game, every single page of it throws me through seven or eight opportunities to pay $1.99 to get more power-ups. And I'm like, what kind of people? Did I ever tell you the story? I was on an airplane playing. It was on a Delta flight. I was playing that Delta trivia game. And the trivia game is, um, it goes throughout the plane. So you're actually playing against other players on the flight. And you can see their seat numbers. So at one point, there were 25 people. It was a jumbo jet, and we were flying overseas. And there were 25 people on this flight that some at some point in the middle of the night had decided they were so bored that they'd found the trivia thing and had logged on. And we're, you know, and it's like all that stuff. It's You have to get it right, but you also have to answer fast. And then you get a certain number of points. And I logged on, and there were a bunch of people playing, and there were some people that were, you know, that were way up um, in the scores. And I was like, oh, I'll try this game. And I jumped in, and then pretty soon I get really invested in it, like, and, and like punching my way through all of these people on the airplane that I only knew by their seat number until I was the top trivia guy. Oh. And then once I was up there, like, I was just, the, people were coming at me. But, you know, if you get if you come at the king, you got to come correct, and none of them did, and I just <laughs> punched them down. I was just beating people up because, uh, you know, trivia, right? Like, yeah. how, fun, how fun is that? And next to me in the airplane, I was probably 35 at the time, and next to me there was a woman, kind of a mom, who was 45. Mm-hmm. Um, and she started – we were talking, and we, we were friends – on this long flight. And at a certain point she was looking over my shoulder and was like, Oh, you're playing uh, what, you know, what's going on? And I was like, Oh, I'm playing trivia and I'm, and I'm, um, I'm killing everybody on the airplane. And it's really gratifying to me because this is a large airplane and, and I am now the king of it. And she was like, Oh, interesting. And then she watched me play the game for a while. And she did the thing where she was like, how do you know all this stuff? And I was like, it's just trivia. It's not, it, it has no bearing on life. And so then she went on her computer in the back of her uh, seat and she just copied off my page. Like every time I clicked on an answer, she just looked at it and then clicked on it on hers. And as we flew across the Atlantic, like she was, she became a major player in this 25 person trivia contest that was happening on the airplane. But she was just doing, she was just copying me. And I remember it being kind of the most dramatic example of that um, of that phenomenon of like people that that look up the answers to crossword puzzles or you know the 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 win is disconnected from the sport for them somehow like there's no they don't care about the sport they just want the win and these bubble these bubble games. You know, a dollar ninety nine will get you. You people are paying a dollar ninety nine to win a a game that they downloaded mm-hmm. to do to just distract them while they were waiting for their show to start. 
and yet they're invested in it enough or somehow like I don't know what they're they're bankrupting themselves to win this bubble game. So there's one and here that, that's called Bubble Pop, another it's called Baby Games Balloon. Baby Games Balloon. Then there's another one called Blue Bloons Pop. Bloons. Bloons. B L O N S. Bloons Pop. Bloons Pop. Then there's one called Kids Balloon Pop something and there's one called just called Balloon Popper. And then there's uh-huh. Bubble Shooter. Bubble Shooter and bl- Balloons Pop. I might be playing Bubble Shooter for that matter. They might not be balloons. They might be bubbles. What? Uh, what's it called? Uh, what does the app called? Uh, I must I know. don't know. I have. Well, no our idea. listeners are going to get upset if we don't tell them at least a little bit about this. Well, you know the, the the way I got into it is that I used to spend hours playing Microsoft Minesweeper. Oh, uh, so much so that it intruded on my relationships. Then I remember people coming into the computer room mm. and saying. My God, come to bed. And I would be like, I can't. I've got to I've got to solve these mines. I've got to I've got to I've got to flag these mines or else the shipping won't won't make it through. Such a simple game, such a simple simple and devious game. And I got better and better at it. Although if you look at the global records of Minesweeper, there are some people out there who are I don't even know how they do it. I don't know how you play Minesweeper that fast. I'm playing at the absolute, at the the bleeding edge of my ability. And then there are all these people, you know, I'm something like 14,000th <laughs> in the world at Minesweeper. And I'm like, who are the 14,000? How do I catch the 14,000? I don't have the dexterity. At a certain point, it becomes like running a 100-yard dash. You can either do it or you can't. And I just, I can't get past I can't get past 14,000. But then it keeps throwing up like, oh, do you want to pop some bubbles? And, you know, like I say, 99% of them, I don't care. Uh, It's not that I don't care about that fish or about that family that's freezing to death. I care too much about them. And I don't want to be, I don't want their plight thrown in my face. But I picked bubble, I picked bubble pop because it seemed, it seemed benign. It seemed like, you know, who, whether I win so or is lose, that what it happen. is? Is it is it bubble pop or balloons pop or bu- I don't bubble think shooter? I think if it was balloons pop, I would I would have remembered balloons. bubble shooter. Maybe I don't know. I'm shooting at bubbles. Well, there's and lots of bubble shooter. I just want to get the right one. Well, I don't have my phone here, oh, so I don't okay, know. Tell me I don't after know which the, one it is. Sure. Yeah, I'll say you can put it in the metadata. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'll do. Hmm. But you know, if I had, if I were able to live in an avatar world where yeah. I was actually in there shooting real bubbles with real shooters, I would do it. 